Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 16. We'll begin in verse 14 and go through verse 34. You can find it on page 1099 in your pew Bible. And that's Acts 16, 14 through 34. Luke writes, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, <coughs> she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrate, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Please join me in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So last week we talked about Lydia quite in depth and about her conversion 
and we learned a lot about her, but we're including her in again today because this 16th chapter in Acts, Luke gives us really a case study on conversion. And, and so all three of these go together. Lydia, this rich religious woman, and this slave girl who's oppressed by a demon and by human masters, and then the secular blue-collar ex-Roman soldier who's now a jailer. They all kind of go together. Now, if we remember, it's Paul and Silas. Timothy's there with them, and so is Luke. That's why we get this we language and us in there, because Luke is right there alongside them as the author of this book. And now as they have started their second missionary journey, it's Paul's second missionary journey, and this is their first stop in Philippi, which is over in Macedonia, and it is one of the major uh, cities in the Roman Empire for the Via Ignatia travels right through it. Now we remember that Paul used to be a Jewish Pharisee. That's where he located himself in life. His dad was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee himself. In fact, we can only flip a few chapters back and we see that he was called Saul and he was rising up amongst his peers within the Sanhedrin council and, and he was one to be reckoned with. He fully understood the Jewish scriptures. But also being a, a, a Jewish Pharisee, he would have had morning prayers. He would have had morning prayers, blessings, thanksgiving that he would have given to God as, as part of who they are. And there's one ancient prayer that we can find in the Jewish Cedar that Paul probably prayed. And it goes like this. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. This was a prayer, an ancient Jewish prayer by Pharisees and Sadducees that they would wake up and pray, giving thanks to God that they simply weren't a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Understanding that this is part of who Paul is and his heritage, it's then no wonder and no surprise that when Luke joins with him, one of the first, the first conversions we see on this missionary journey are a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. It's no wonder then that we can then go read Paul's letters and throughout them we can hear that there is neither male nor female, that there is neither slave nor free, that there is neither Jew nor Gentile or Greek, depending on how we translate it, that we are all one in Christ Jesus. See, this was defining for Paul. It was defining of the movement of the gospel that there weren't these uh, human barriers no longer in the way. And so we see these conversions, a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. But those aren't their only identities that we would locate them in. We also see that there's a religious person, that there's an oppressed person, and that there is a secular person, all of whom are in need of salvation. So first we come across Lydia. The first one we come across in Philippi is, is Lydia. And we know that she's a wealthy, religious woman whom is in need of salvation. You know, she has 
rejected Roman paganism because she's a worshiper of God. So she has said the many gods that you believe in is false, but this one God that Israel believes in is true. And so she worships one God. We, we would say that she's morally conservative. She's an upright citizen in good standing. And she even goes to prayer meetings on Sabbath where she would pray with the other woman down by the river and also hear the stories from the Old Testament. She's moral, she's religious, and she's in church. And it was there that her heart was open. And she received and believed the gospel for the very first time. She's a good person, whatever that means by worldly standards. And she goes to church. But until Paul arrives, until Paul arrives and, and with reason explains the Old Testament promises of Messiah and how they're fulfilled in Jesus, she hadn't given her life fully over to God. It was a nice idea, but she hadn't given her life to God. And many of us, well, our conversion story looks like Lydia's. We, we were good people. We, we were morally upright, and we would go to church, yet we hadn't yet given our life over to Christ. It's why here in church on Sundays that we ask those who want to give their life over to Christ, because many of us that even grew up in the church, this is our salvation story. We were good religious people, and then it wasn't until the Lord opened our heart that we believed the gospel. And there's even more in the world today. 85% of Americans claim to be Christians. Yet there's not a single day in the calendar that 85% of Americans will find themselves in church worshiping God. So there's a lot of people who would declare themselves as Christian, yet there's no real evidence by the fruit in their lives that they are any different than the rest of the world. They may be good people. They may be morally upright, maybe even a little bit religious, so much so that they show up on Christmas and Easter and maybe a couple more times throughout the year. But they're in need of salvation as well. And here we see Jesus comes for the religious. But he doesn't come to make people religious. The gospel saves us. See, religion is an outside in, in that we do things on the outside and, and we obey commands and we're good people and we follow rules so that we can get on the inside and get the blessing. But the gospel is inside out. The gospel comes and where we are blesses us and saves us. And then in response to that, we live lives that obey Jesus' commands and bear much fruit. Salvation comes to the religious. Then we meet this slave girl. And she's an interesting character with no name. And as it goes here in verse 16, it says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. We're going to pause here for a second and say that any kind of fortune-telling, palm-reading, Ouija board, tarot cards, 
come from a demonic spirit, even in today's world. It, it is led by a demonic spirit. It is not something to play around with. You're playing with powers and principalities beyond our ability to fight. And here she was. She was a fortune teller. She was possessed. She was oppressed by a demon. And she was a slave, not only to the demon, but also she had human masters in which she would go around telling fortunes so that she could earn money that for her masters. And her masters had no intention of looking out for her best interests. No, if they wanted to look out for her best interests, they would find a way to get that demon out of her. But rather, they saw her as merely the cash cow for their own selfish gain. They weren't looking out for her. But here they are, they're walking in Philippi, and this slave girl, possessed by a demon who can tell fortunes, is going around and telling everyone, as Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke are walking around, that these are men of God and they've come to tell you about salvation. Now, she wasn't doing this to be helpful. She was doing this as a distraction. It was the spirit, the demon spirit within her coming out, trying to distract Paul and the others, and to gain a crowd around them and hopefully drive them out because the demon did not want them there. And then it tells us here one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, Paul having become greatly annoyed. Because she was doing this for days. Right? We, we know the annoyed that Paul feels in this moment. If you've been on a 20-hour road trip, say, recently with your toddler in the back seat, where he asks you incessantly, are we there yet? You understand Paul's annoyance. He wasn't just annoyed, he was greatly annoyed. So much so, he doesn't turn to the slave girl. The scripture tells us that he turns to the spirit and says, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I command you to come out. does. The Spirit comes out. There's a supernatural experience, a, a supernatural conversion here in this moment. Now, we, we don't get explicitly told that this slave girl comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Yet, we can hear the words of Jesus found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, beginning in verse 43. He says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes, then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. And we learn that the spirit comes out, but then her human masters realize that they can no longer gain from her, that her divination, that her ability to tell fortunes, her evil demonic spirit that possessed her and oppressed her is gone. Not only is it gone, her heart didn't remain empty. See, Jesus says if it's empty, swept and clean, it will come back with seven of its more evil friends. For the spirit not to come back, well, it must have been replaced then with the spirit of God. 
so we can see that in this very moment, the power of Jesus upon this oppressed slave girl, possessed by demons, owned by humans, was liberated totally from both. She was set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ in this very moment. The gospel, it came to her in her most darkest time of her life. Now there's many of us, maybe we weren't demon-possessed, but we found ourselves in a dark place in our lives, in the depths possessed by our sin, a slave to our sin, where our whole lives centered around this darkness in our lives, and we couldn't get past it. And in the midst of that deep darkness, Jesus comes and rescues us. Just as he came in the darkness of this slave girl and rescued her. See, for Lydia, it was in the midst of her going to church that she was saved. And Paul presented a reasonably logic explanation of who Jesus was. But for this girl, it was in the midst of the darkness, a supernatural experience that came and rescued her from the darkness. Then we come across the jailer. We come across the jailer because Paul and Silas are arrested. The men are unhappy. They've lost their cash cow in this slave girl that they cast out the demon that was making them all of this money. Now, the jailer would have more than likely been a retired Roman soldier. Retired Roman soldiers got the cushiest of government jobs plus other ones. And he's a secular man, practical, does his job and goes goes home living his life. Now, Rome wasn't known as a very nice governing body. They, they were known to rule harshly upon their people, and especially upon conquered cities and big cities like Philippi on the Via Ignatius. There would have been men, women, and children hanging on crosses for miles as people entered into the city of Philippi demonstrating Rome's power, Rome's law, and also signaling to those up in the hills, don't go form a militia. We are stronger and mightier than you. Paul and Silas run into their might when they're ordered to be beaten with rods. And then the jailer is told to keep them in the jail, but he puts them in the innermost and then even shackles them, causing them more pain and suffering in their life. And then while they were in jail, what does the scripture tell us they do? They sing hymns and they pray in the midst of this terrible suffering in their lives. They find this moment to praise God for the glory and the hope and the joy and the peace they have. Though they have just been beaten, though they are in chains, though they are facing charges that would bring them execution. They find joy in Christ singing praises. And all the other prisoners gather around and hear what's going on. And the scriptures tells us, then at midnight, an earthquake comes. Shakes the foundation of the jail. So much so that all of their bonds are broke loose and the doors are flung open. The jailer wakes to see the doors open. He thinks they're all gone. And if a jailer lost his prisoners, well, he was going to face public humiliation and execution. And rather than do that, he took out his sword and was ready to literally fall on his sword. 
And Paul cries out, don't do it. We are all here. Not just Paul and Silas, but Paul had everyone who was in prison and in shackles stay there because if any single one of them left, it would have cost the jailer his life. He didn't reason with the jailer about the nature of the Messiah. It wasn't a supernatural experience that converted this jailer. Rather, it was the demonstration of their faith lived out in the midst of suffering that they would repay evil with good. That they sacrificed their own well-being for the life of the jailer. And he comes and he realizes that they're all there and they could have been set free. What must I do to be saved? They repaid evil with good. They demonstrated their faith. Many of us, it's what we needed to see as well. Well, you, you go to church and you talk about this Jesus thing, but has your life really changed? Does it demonstrate differently to the rest of the world? It's what changed this jailer's heart allowed him to hear the gospel. And Jesus saved him and his household too. So as we look at this case study of these three conversions in Philippi, we learn three things from this. First, we learn that Jesus is for everyone. There is no type of Christian. We couldn't come up with a demographic profile and say, this is Christian Carl. And say, this is what all Christians look like. This is their background. This is where they come from. That is not possible for us to do because Jesus is for everyone. Paul makes it clear that there is no distinction for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile. That there is no typical understanding of a Christian. We also learn by seeing these conversions that there is no greater unifying factor in all the world than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about it. Look who's here as the core leadership team of this brand new church plant in Philippi. A rich religious woman, a slave girl, and an ex-Roman soldier. They didn't come together because they were united by their shared humanity, that they weren't united because they saw that they were all humans and deserved dignity and should be celebrated. They were united because they had been saved by Jesus Christ and they were made one in him. There is no greater unifying factor than the gospel of Jesus. And when we continue to search for unity that's not found in the gospel, we will fail every time. And finally, what we notice in practical terms for us out in the world is that our evangelism doesn't come from a can or a formula. Three different conversions all ended with three different approaches to get to the presentation of the gospel. Paul reasoned with Lydia supernatural experience of commanding a spirit to come out of the slave girl. 
and then demonstrating his faith in the midst of suffering to the jailer. We can't be a one-trick pony when it comes to how we tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. As his followers, we've got to be prepared to speak it, to live it, and to even call on the Holy Spirit to demonstrate it. Because we know this fact. Jesus is for everyone. Amen.